The call to worship is Psalm 72, verses 1 through 7, and you can follow along in Pew Bible, uh, page 538. Endow the king with your justice, O God, the royal son with your righteousness. May he judge your people in righteousness, your afflicted ones with justice. May the mountains bring prosperity to the people, the hills the fruit of righteousness. May he defend the afflicted among the people and save the children of the needy. May he crush the oppressor. May he endure as long as the sun, as long as the moon, through all generations. May he be like rain falling on a mown field, like showers watering the earth. In his days, may the righteous flourish, the prosperity abound till the moon is no more. Our, excuse me, our Old Testament reading is found in Isaiah 1, 16 to 18, in Pew Bible, page 632. Wash and make yourselves clean. Take your evil deeds out of my sight. Stop doing wrong, learn to do right. Seek justice. Encourage the oppressed. Defend the cause of the fatherless. Plead the case of the widow. Come now, let us read it together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. That they are red as crimson, they shall be like wool. Amen. Our New Testament reading today is found in the book of Revelation, chapter 19, verses 11 to 21. You can find that in Pew Bible, page 1150. <clears throat> I saw heaven standing open, and there before me was a white horse, whose rider is called Faithful and True. With justice he judges and makes war. His eyes are like blazing fire, and on his head are many crowns. He has a name written on it that no one knows but he himself. He is dressed in a robe dipped in blood, and his name is the Word of God. The armies of heaven were following him, riding on white horses and dressed in fine linen, white and clean. Coming out of his mouth is a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, he will rule them with an iron scepter. He treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh, he has his name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And I saw an angel standing in the sun who cried in a loud voice to all the birds flying in midair, Come, gather together for the great supper of God so that you may eat the flesh of kings, generals, and the mighty of horses and their riders, and the flesh of all people, free and slave, great and small. Then I saw the beast and the kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to make war against the rider on the horse and his army. But the beast was captured, and with him the false prophet who had performed the signs on his behalf. With these signs, he had deluded those who had received the mark of the beast and worshipped his image. The two of them were thrown alive into the fiery lake of burning sulfur. The rest were killed with the sword coming out of the mouth of the rider on the horse, and all the birds gorged themselves on their flesh. The gospel reading can be found in Luke chapter 4, verses 14 through 20, and you can follow along in Pew Bible, page 948. 
Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread through the whole countryside. He was teaching in the synagogues, and everyone praised him. He went to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and on the Sabbath day he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of the sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. It's a hard thing to follow, children. (laughs) Uh, It's good to be back with you this Sabbath. Had a wonderful time uh, last Sabbath with our son. And uh, understand you had a, a, a good time here with Pastor Gerald, so I'm grateful all the way around. Some of you know Anita Langenbacher. She sends out a daily thought for the day. And one of them I thought was uh, very apropos, speaking to the promises of God and the theme that we've been on. Before I read that, I do want to take a minute uh, by way of commercial announcement something, only uh, I think it's uh, sacredly appropriate. And that is just to let you know that I'm so happy our bell choir is back. Uh, Beverly Bell um, moved her sons this week. They moved to a new place. So with all of that chaos, she still managed to get a group together and bless us today. So be sure and say thank you to her afterward. I also want to remind you that next week is uh, the uh, initiation of our choir season as well. And so if you're interested in singing or playing or joining our weekly band, uh, don't hesitate. Let uh, Bunny Thornburg know about choir. Let Bev Bell know about bell choir. And uh, you don't have to let anybody know. If you can play an instrument, show up here on Saturday morning We have music transposed for you, and it's just a good thing to make a joyful noise to the Lord. So thank you again for for that. The thought for the day that was sent went something like this. It's a quote from A.B. Simpson's book, Streams in the Desert, and connected to Romans 4. How important it is for God to keep us focused on things that are unseen, for we are so easily snared by the things that we can see. He has to keep results that are encouraging away from us until we learn to trust him without them. I thought that was very true for me anyway. Let us follow in the faith of Abraham, not weak in faith. He did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strengthened in the faith, giving glory to God and being fully convinced that what he had promised he was able to perform. Hope does not disappoint 
Romans 4, 19 to 21. So I thought that was uh, uh, appropriate uh, kind of quote for our theme on God's promises. He is able to perform. I think that is the, the key message uh, coming out of that. Well, justice is today's theme. God is able to execute true justice for you. And I just can't tell you how important that is to me. Um, I am deeply troubled by injustice. We're very fortunate in this land of ours to live in a land that uh, pursues justice with the resources and energies that it does. It is still true in this land that uh, despite our many efforts at the blindness of justice, despite our many efforts at making justice something that everybody has equal access to, uh, with the complexities of our system of law and the way our system works, uh, those who have money are advantaged in our system, whether they can hire better attorneys or more attorneys or hold out for a longer period of time in a suit to seek justice. Um, it's, it's an unfortunate uh, reality that we deal with, but we're very blessed overall that the common person in this country has access to justice and that we have laws that, uh, for the most part, are aimed at leveling the playing field uh, for people in a democratic society. So I don't want to speak to that side of it today so much as I just want to say, when I see acts of injustice, I am deeply troubled. And I don't think that's an ungodly thing. I think that's a godly thing. Of all of the traits in me that are a little bit scary, my need for justice may be one of them. And yet I'm comforted because as I look at Scripture, I see that God is interested in that too. The thing that my personality type has to do is wait for the Lord. Um, I, I, my personality type is occasionally tempted to seek to execute justice on my own will and volition and wisdom and knowledge. And I would guess that there's at least a small portion of you who have the same propensity without much reservation, by the way. And yet there's a simple phrase in Scripture that haunts me and restrains me, I'm happy to say. Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. I want you to know, not because I'm trying to appear uh, funny or weak or anything to you, but I want you to know that it takes all of the faith I can muster to believe in that. I really, I'm counting on it. I'm counting on it. You see, maybe some of you are a little like Jonah, who went and preached to a city nation and said, repent, the Lord's fed up with your evil. He is going to destroy you. And shock of shocks, they repented, and the Lord relented, and Jonah was very disappointed not to see the fires sent from heaven. I don't want to be the person who's disappointed because the Lord is merciful. 
I don't want to be the person who's disappointed because the Lord is long-suffering. I don't want to be the person who's disappointed because the Lord is patient or because he sees what I cannot see and knows what I cannot know. But at the end of the day, I hope and pray that he will fulfill his promise to execute justice. So the first place we might start with that is the largest picture in which that's definitely true according to our scripture, according to the word of our God, and to the, according to the word of everything we believe. The state of the world as we know it, and this is where Buddhism is incorrect and, and so forth, uh, Buddhism, and I just threw that out, it sort of has that yin-yang, light-dark thing going where you can't have goodness without evil. That's not our paradigm. In our paradigm, we understand evil to be an abhorrent sort of abnormality, a fluke, if, it, if you will, in the universe, something that wasn't to be, but nevertheless arose. And as evil arises and has a beginning, we're living in the midst of the struggle between good and evil, not the harmony of good and evil. And the struggle between good and evil finds itself having a conclusion in which the Christ who laid down his life that we might live stands victorious. The Christ who promises to return again, this time not as a humble servant, but as king of kings and lord of lords, with the, for, with the sword coming out of his mouth as a tongue, with the sickle in his hand, harvest and judgment, with the trump of God, he comes and he judges. King of king, lord of lords, prince of peace, God of all, judges. This is the scene in which the Bible says, every knee shall bow that obnoxious atheist neighbor of yours. Every knee shall bow. The rebellious of heart. Every knee shall bow. The broken of spirit. Every knee shall bow. The imprisoned and the free. Every knee shall bow. King and prelate and prince. Senator. President and the homeless man on the street. Every knee shall bow. Grandparents and parents and children. Every knee shall bow and every tongue confess. It's true. You are Lord. You are God. It's going to be an incredible moment, a defining shift in the reality that we all experience. It's going to be the end of evil as we know it. So there is a sense, it's eschatological, it's in the future, it's not in our present reality, but there is a very clear sense in which the promise of God is to be fulfilled in the same way that his promise to come again and that he's prepared a place for us to go is going to be fulfilled. Because our God is so gracious and so generous and so interested in your freedom and mine that he respects our freedom to choose to die forever 
just as he respects our freedom to choose to live forever. That's an amazing thing to me. That's an awesome reality. So if we go to our New Testament reading today, Revelation 19, I want you to listen to the first part of that passage as I read it, and then we'll look at the second part. After that, I heard what sounded like the roar of a great multitude in heaven saying, Alleluia! Salvation and glory and power belong to our God. For true and just are his judgments. He has condemned the great prostitute who has corrupted the earth by her adulteries. He has avenged upon her the blood of his servants. And again they shouted, Alleluia! The smoke from her goes up forever and ever. The 24 elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshiped God who was seated on the throne and they cried, Amen, Alleluia. Then a voice came from the throne saying, Praise our God, all you his servants, you who fear him both great and small. Then I heard what sounded like a great multitude, like the roar of rushing waters and like loud peals of thunder shouting, Alleluia, for our God Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory. For the wedding of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean was given her to wear. And then the scribe adds this, fine linen stands for the righteous acts of God's people. Then the angel said to me, write, blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. And he added, these are the true words of God. At this I fell at his feet and worshiped him, but he said to me, don't do that. I am a fellow servant with you and your brothers and sisters who hold Jesus' testimony. Worship God, for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. That is the preamble to what we heard this morning. You have a worship scene in heaven in which these creatures we can't imagine These beings who are there are praising God and worshiping. And this time they aren't worshiping him because he created heavens and earth. This time they are not worshiping him because he was the lamb that was slain. You remember those passages in Revelation? Worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive glory and honor and power and wisdom and strength. You remember those passages? This time the praise echoes because his judgments are true and just. He is the righteous judge because he's condemned 
the great prostitute who has corrupted the world, who's spoiled everything for all of us by her adulteries, which we've participated in. This is why the 24 elders and the four living creatures and the hosts of heaven are praising God. They're praising God because he's delivered a judgment. He has avenged his servants on the great prostitute and the smoke from her rises forever and ever. Our brothers and sisters in the Christian community confuse the finality of this judgment with an eternal sort of suffering. And I want to just mention this because it's worthy to think about what it means to speak well of God. And I think unintentionally, the Christian community doesn't always give a positive witness to God because I will not worship a God who would torture somebody for 30 trillion years for 30 years of bad living. That is, in no vocabulary I can conceive of, in no rationale I can conceive of, remotely just remotely fair. And if I, as a relatively simple, common, not so uh, uh, brilliant human being in the scheme of the universe, if, if I can come to that conclusion, then I would certainly expect more of a being that I'm going to worship. So when we speak well of God, we must speak well of God not as one who wreaks vengeance in the manner of torture, but who ends the conflict and honors the choices that have been made. Do you see the difference? No? Is it meaningful to you? It ought to be. It ought to be because justice is done. It's executed for you and for me. We are freed from an oppression in all of this, a tyranny. We're given a gateway to a new reality, a new heaven and a new earth. And sin and the consequences of it are no more. God promises to execute true justice for you. And what I want to encourage all of us with this morning is that that true justice may not be in this moment in the here and now that true justice that he executes for you may come at the end of all things when he appears. It may come much further down the road. Out of this worship scene, the remainder of the passage, as you, you might know, let me, I have a, a lot of uh, my text printed out today. Let me see if I can find that quickly. The remainder of the text says, I saw heaven standing open and there before me was a white horse whose rider is called Faithful and True. Those words are capitalized. Who do you think is faithful and true? Jesus. With justice, there's that word that's so important to us. With justice, he judges and having judged, he makes war. 
There is a doctrine, as you know, in history and in life of the just war. And we can look back in history and find wars that approximate that a lot more than others. As human beings, it's difficult for us to ever truly engage in just war. There is always the loss of the innocent. I was fascinated the other morning. I think it was Thursday morning. There was uh, The morning show had a feature on the women of Afghanistan who are widows. And if it's tough to be a woman in Afghanistan, it's even more tough to be a woman in Afghanistan without a husband and with children. And there is an American woman who lost her husband in the 9-11 attack who has decided to help the widows of Afghanistan. And industries have been created and at educational centers. And in order for the women to participate in her program, they have to agree to send both their sons and their daughters to school. This woman who lost something in 9-11, which we're commemorating this weekend, 10-year anniversary, which we're remembering, this woman who lost so much is giving back because she knows the truth, God's truth. The women of Afghanistan, the widows of Afghanistan are not our enemies. God knows these kinds of things. And he judges justly and makes war on whom he must. And then we find this description that helps us know that he's nobody to trifle with. This isn't a trivial thing that he is. His eyes are like blazing fire. He wears many crowns, which means he's not just a king, he's king of kings. He has a name written on him that nobody can say but himself. We can't even know his name. He's dressed in a robe dipped in blood and his name is the word of God. The armies of heaven are following him. Coming out of his mouth is a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. And he will rule them, not with a gold scepter, but with an iron one. He treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. That's a song we sing, isn't it? On his robe and on his thigh, he has this name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. What a description. What a scene of justice. Well, that is the eschatological justice to come uh, in the future. That is what God promises to bring for us. But there are other forms of justice that we are called to pursue. Our call to worship, written by Solomon, asks this plea. Endow the king with your justice, O God the royal son with your righteousness. There's a sense in which all authority on earth is given from where? Heaven, yeah, from God. And Solomon as king says, look, Lord, if I'm going to participate in your power, I must participate in your justice, in your wisdom. And so Solomon's plea, as we know famously, is for ask this, endow the king with your justice, the royal son with your right doing. That's really an important plea, a very important plea. Give me the grace, Lord, not only to do the right thing, to judge correctly, but to live it. Our passage 
in Luke is Jesus at the temple proclaiming the year of the Lord's favor. In Matthew, it says in verse 12, 17, this was to fulfill what was spoken about him through the prophet Isaiah. Here is my servant whom I have chosen, the one I love and whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him. He will proclaim justice to the nations. He'll not quarrel or cry out. No one will hear his voice in the street. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not snuff out, snuff out till he leads justice to victory. In his name will the nations put their hope. It would be great if we as a people and a nation put our hope in God's justice. Luke 18 asks an interesting question. I want to read it to you. If you have a moment, turn in your Bible to Luke 18. 18 verse 6. We're going to read six, but I want to give you the background where you're looking up. This is a parable Jesus told of a woman who had no means and no status and no power, but she was persistent. Any of you resemble that? No money, no status, no power, but you're persistent? Bless you. Jesus told stories about you. The widow goes to the judge and says, give me justice. And the judge shoes her away. And she goes back to the judge and says, give me justice. And the judge shoes her away. And she goes back to the judge and says, I'm not going away until you give me justice. And he shoes her away. But in the night, he wakes up troubled because he knows that tomorrow he's going to see her again at the gate, demanding that she get justice. The judge is neither righteous nor true, nor does he give justice. He's just another guy doing a marginal job in public service. Not everybody does. Some give extraordinary service. Some give worse than marginal. Several postal employees come to mind. No. For what it's worth. She goes back to the judge, and in the night he has thought it through and said, you know what? I better give her justice, because if I don't give this widow justice, she's just going to keep harassing me. We have a proverb, don't we? The squeaky wheel gets the grease. Jesus understood it, and he's telling the story. And so Jesus said, listen to what the unjust judge said or says. He says that he'd better give her justice because she's going to keep pestering him. 
So verse 7, and will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? What a question. And only you can answer that. Jesus is saying something very important, very clear, and very plain. If an unjust judge will give judgment in truth to the persistent who has no power, no money, no authority, why would you think for a minute that you who cry out to God day and night will not be served, will not receive justice? Because he is not the unjust judge. He is the righteous judge. He's the judge praised because his judgments are true and just. And if the unjust judge will serve justice, how much more will God, the righteous judge, serve justice? But the question Jesus wants to ask all of us And it's part of this thing we have to deal with when we look at his promises. Is when he comes, will he find anyone with faith? In the absence of the immediate and obvious verification of God's judgment and justice, will we be able to hold on to a promise? In the absence of evidence that he is winning at all, will we be able to believe in the final outcome? I have said it. Call me faithless. I have noted that it appears at times that God is getting his royal behind kicked, that evil is winning. Have you ever felt that? Oh, you're so much better than me. I'm going to make appointments for all of you to be here and I'm going to be there because I need, it's obvious you're more mature than I am. I need to learn from you. But that's not the truth, is it? He may not appear to be winning now. There may be setbacks for all of us in life now. But will we hold on to faith Will we believe when he appears? Will the king of kings find a faithful group waiting when he comes? That's your decision. That's your choice. That's your call. I want to tell you that the word of God gives us reason to believe God will be just now as much as he can. As much as the system is broken, he will advocate for you. And I didn't get to this today. We're way past time. But what God has has told us is we ought to pursue justice ourselves. And what that looks like in God's world is being good to the alien, the widow, the fatherless. It's taking care of the down and outers. He describes it in Matthew 25. Hungry and you fed me. Naked and you clothed me. Prison and you visited me. Sick and you took care of me. If you've done it unto the least, you've done it unto me. That is the definition of righteousness and justice. 
That's what he expects of us. It's what he wants to see happening when he comes. There are Adventists who would have you believe that you need to buy a parcel from Revelation Realty and live out in the middle of nowhere so that you can survive the last days. But I don't know if when the King of Kings comes and he finds you holed up somewhere, that's going to be his definition of faithful. I don't know. Something to think about. Will you have faith when he comes? May the King of kings and Lord of lords and God of all grant us justice and give us peace. Amen.